Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today. Welcome to Conversations with Lulu. My name is Lulu Khazan. I am an entrepreneur living in Dubai, an investor, a mother, and your host. So this is episode 21, and my guest is Ramiz Shahadi. Ramiz is the current managing director at Facebook for the Middle East and North Africa region. And by Facebook, I mean the Facebook group of apps that include WhatsApp, Instagram, Workplace, um, Messenger, and Oculus. So what I wanted to do is to get a small peek into Ramaz's career and, uh, and learn from him as he's made some pretty big moves. Um, a quick note, as I was preparing for this, uh, for this interview, I asked some of my friends who are also Ramaz's ex-colleagues to tell me a little bit about him. And, uh, and I thought it would be interesting to share it with you just to know what kind of person uh, Ramaz is. So here's, uh, here's what I was told. So, very well cultivated guy. Uh, he's a lot into philanthropy and angel investing. Extremely charismatic, extremely nice and smart. Super lovely with clients and very respectful of others. A true testament to uh, Ramaz's leadership. And uh, he, earned, he definitely earned the respect of his uh, ex-colleagues. And we'll hear more about uh, leadership from Ramaz uh, in this episode. We talk about Ramaz's Lebanese origins, how he grew up in Saudi Arabia, and his subsequent move to the United States, where he finished his studies and then launched his career into consulting. He then jumped on an opportunity to co-found a startup in San Francisco. We will learn more about that. And then he eventually went back into consulting and back into the region. And the last role he had in consulting before joining Facebook was a senior partner at Booz Allen Hamilton. You'll find this episode enlightening if you are looking to enter the workforce or if you aspire to work for these big companies, big multinationals like Facebook. You will learn more about the culture uh, in this company and what do leaders like Ramez look for when they're looking to hire people. If you are an entrepreneur and looking to raise some, uh, some funds from angels, you will also uh, hear from Ramez about what he looks for when he is assessing a potential startup and what's important to him. If you are in government, in policy, or if you are an ecosystem enabler, whether it's SMEs or uh, startups, I'm sure you're going to appreciate Ramaz's tips on uh, empowering and enabling SMEs. And also, how do we create funds that have a specific strategy to drive growth in a, in a specific sector uh, of our economy? So this conversation is extremely rich in content and in advice, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it as well. So for now, let's hear from Ramiz. 
What's really exciting going on in uh, Facebook land, land at the moment, in the context maybe of the MENA region? Well, actually, uh, maybe the inverse of that question uh, is, a, is an interesting way to think about it. Like, what's not exciting at Facebook? I mean, every day there is something new, whether it's a new platform or a new feature or a new capability or a new issue or a new problem or a new challenge. There is no dull moment at Facebook. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that absence of dullness, I suppose, is best summarized as the cost of relevance. Facebook is among the most recognized and most engaged businesses, platforms, experiences on the planet. You know, we've not had really anything like this yeah. in history, right? Uh, over three billion people connected, active, engaging, expressing, living, fighting, arguing, complaining, everything uh, happens on this platform. Yeah. And uh, it's very much uh, in line with the, the spirit and the mission of connecting people and giving uh, uh, opportunity for communities to, to thrive uh, in its beauty uh, and sometimes in its ugliness. So no very dull moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, to go back to your question around what's particularly exciting right now in MENA, uh, Middle East and North Africa, there are a couple of really exciting things. Um, that come in response to challenge and dilemma in some case, uh, and come in response to um, uh, characteristics uh, uh, of the region. Okay. So one is, uh, is, uh, is Facebook Shops. I don't know if you've heard of it. I saw that, uh, that WhatsApp has announced like a kind of a payment, uh, payment system within WhatsApp. So, so payments is one dimension. I know that there is a marketplace on Facebook. Yes. So Facebook shops came in response to uh, the reality of COVID. That, uh, you know, businesses, for the most part, are um, already engaging digitally um, while it's evolving and becoming more seamless. And the notion of engagement goes from uh, people discovering products to now products discovering people. Large businesses, for the most part, are engaged digitally and in the digital mm -hmm. economy. But the micro, small, and medium enterprises who historically have relied on physical engagement, mm -hmm. I need you to come to my counter, I need yes. you to come to my shop, I will sell you something, and we have a physical exchange of good or service. In COVID, this was blocked, right? Mo physical mobility went away for the most part. And so we came up in a very short amount of time with the ability to introduce a virtual experience to any brick and mortar of any size um, in, uh, in, in a very small amount of time. And Facebook Shops gives you, the entrepreneur, the ability to have a storefront Okay. To have a menu, um, to ultimately get a payment gateway, maybe even a logistics solution. Uh, is this live now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will there is payments and, and... So payments, depending on geography, is, okay. there's all kinds of regulatory conditions that have to kind of be met and, okay. and assured. Um, but it is moving, moving forward with, with dramatic impact and dramatic uh, 
uh, uptick. Um, and it's been a lifeline. And is it language specific? So yeah. can you get like Arabic? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So it's, uh, it's incredibly exciting because it's a lifeline for so many businesses, right? Remember, small, medium businesses, mm -hmm. they're the... They're the backbone of any economy. And they're already on Facebook on a personal level. They they're familiar with the be. platform. They may or may not like, be. As individuals. Yes. They probably so are. People so are they're familiar. That's actually a very good point. Yeah. Uh, no. uh, people are in this part of the world connected. Okay, They have access to data, yeah. uh, some more expensively than others. Uh, um, they have a mobile device or a smart yeah. device for the most part. Um, and individually they're there, but as a business, they're not. In fact, when you look at the number of businesses, over 40 million businesses across uh, North Africa, the Levant and the GCC, the percentage of businesses that are actually engaged in any commercial online transaction is abysmally small. The other one, so this is in response to a dilemma, a challenge. One that is in response to a characteristic and it's not unique to MENA, but it is heightened in MENA, is the video narrative, right? In this part of the world, uh, we consume two to three times the global average uh, of video content, okay? People enjoy, uh, value um, that kind of visual experience and that kind of engagement mm -hmm. experience. And so our ability to reach consumers and our ability to have advertisers engage with consumers through a, a video medium mm. uh, uh, is, uh, is an incredibly powerful uh, and an incredibly useful tool uh, to maximize relevance of supply and demand, of content and consumption. Right? Okay. So video as an advertising medium uh, in stream uh, is, uh, is something that we're absolutely leaning into. Yeah? Okay. Um, so this is a... As in like native videos recorded on Advertising Facebook? videos. Okay. Yeah. So the introdu introduction of video content uh, to engage consumers. Okay. Hmm? Then you can, you know, you can, you can expand on that. You can start to say, well, hey, wait a minute. What if I added in, you know, um, uh, the ability to kind of click and buy off of this, mm. or I, I, I click to a platform and I'm able to purchase and I'm able to, yeah. uh, 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 you know, obtain a product in short time, in close proximity. It opens up a whole new world of secondary and tertiary businesses that can be around these platforms, in orbit around these platforms, yeah. uh, which creates ultimately wellness. Yeah. It gives people uh, uh, new opportunities that didn't exist before. Yeah. And ultimately, the region starts to evolve from being highly dependent on public sector employment to more private sector mm -hmm. employment. And the micropreneur or, or solepreneur um, who required this physical engagement and who's now living and thriving digitally uh, can not only preserve their job, but they can create a job and then create yeah. multiple jobs and then use these new mediums for engaging people in different ways. It's, mm. it's an explosion of opportunity. You speak passionately about uh, getting businesses into the digital economy. You talk yes. about this yes. quite a lot. And as an entrepreneur that 
ran a, a B2B2C marketplace, it was always very challenging to reach businesses because it's, you know, your, maybe your customer is the business, but how do you find that individual, for example, that is making the hiring decisions in, in my case? And I think we, most of them were not online and we always kind of struggled, like how do you connect, how do you reach to these businesses? So I, I guess part of your mission is to get everyone Absolutely. Uh, online as well. So that, Absolutely. And that, in your point, unleashes like economic opportunities for them, for the, you know, for the customers. 100%. You nailed beyond. it. That's exactly right. What's, the, what's been prohibiting businesses, in, in your view, in our part of the world? I mean, you see in Europe and the US, everybody's kind of digitally connected somehow. You have uh, digital payments, you have uh, some kind of social media presence, but here you, you don't have that. Yeah, it's a great question. I think governments all across the region are asking themselves a very similar question. Is it like um, a user experience issue? Or a, is I think there's like a number of things. I think there's awareness and education. Uh, I think historically there may have been an access bias. So, you know, the ability to have a coverage and, mm. and connectivity was limited. Uh, particularly true in parts of sub-Saharan Africa, which is why Facebook has invested so heavily in the Simba, the two Africa subsea cable all around the African continent. Wait, what is Simba? It's the subsea cable okay. that goes around the African continent to bring connectivity. For data. For data. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we have a group within uh, Facebook called uh, Mobile uh, Partnerships, which actually goes out. Facebook builds networks. So you, okay. So you know, we lay fiber. I mean, it's amazing. Okay. It's to, amazing. To enable more, more people. To get more people connected. And, uh, you know, at one point uh, there was a, a mission around connecting the unconnected. Uh, and while it might have a different label uh, uh, now, we fundamentally see wellness and prosperity uh, correlating very strongly to you know uh, the ability to kind of connect and have internet access and ultimately to do business mm. online. And so while people individually have been connected, you know, they have a mobile device and they have uh, uh, you know an internet connection, uh, the leap to then saying, hey, I want to move my business online and I want to engage with people outside of my physical radius hasn't fully happened. And why we're investing in, in mm. making this a prime, a prime objective for at least Facebook's impact yeah. in this part of the world. So how is being the, the, the top person in Facebook? I mean, for all of us uh, outside, <laughs> this, is a, you know, this is a fantastic position and role for someone to have. It's a great company. It's a leading company globally. And uh, you know, how does it feel like for you to be leading this organization? Well, I, I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm honored uh, to have this responsibility uh, in this part of the world. Um, and I think, you know, like in all things, there's a perception of something yes. and then the reality of yes. something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know. Do, we, do you wake up every morning like the rest of us and, you know, you have your coffee and you go to the office? <laughs> or no? I wake up and I think, what's going to happen today? <laughs> But Do I, you check your phone? I check my phone. I check First my, thing? Oh, I check my phone. Oh, that's but that's good. a habit from the past. That's okay. not a... That's but, a consulting habit. It is maybe. a consulting habit. It's a bad habit. You know, I think <laughs> I, having learned from friends who have, uh, you know, evolved their sense of wellness in life, yeah. 
Uh, many of them say that they keep the phones outside of the bedroom yes. and don't check it till yes. they're woken up properly. So I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But you know, I think uh, Facebook as an organization is an is an extremely interesting, organic, uh, you know, organic experience. Um, I think many of the rules that I have learned in my consulting career mm -hmm. around organizational behavior and organizational de uh, design and and uh, and uh, you know reporting lines and efficiency and, and the like for corporations um, is very different in Facebook. Facebook is operates in a in a in a in a much more of a startup kind of way. Still? Still. We have thousands of people. Tens of thousands of people. Okay. And somehow that character, that ethos, uh, that pathos is is dominant. And it, okay. and it works. So, so this notion that, oh, you know, it's a, you know, impossible for work. Well, evidence demands the verdict, right? Mm -hmm. Facebook is a living, breathing, uh, a thriving uh, example of uh, of this. It gave the world social media, and, and it operates as a social network, mm. right? So relationships and bonding and getting along and collaborating works across mediums, across geographies, across functions, and uh, and you realize that as much as you are empowered to do whatever it takes to succeed, your ability to do it on your own is minimal. You have to work with others in order to make impactful, sustainable outcomes. Is that the difference between, in terms of culture between consulting and, and Facebook? I mean, For the most part, I would say. I mean, con consulting is... Um, maybe put it slightly differently. Mm -hmm. I mean, in consulting, you have to derive an outcome in a very specified constraint constrained amount of time with finite resources okay that's the objective that's the outcome that's the output this is the input clock is ticking go mm -hmm. so your ability to do things by consensus is reduced because time is not on your side Right? So, in many ways, it's a much more directive environment. Okay. Do this, do this, do this, show me, show me, show me, check, 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 redo, 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 okay. done. Yeah? In, in, uh, in, in Facebook, it's not like that at all. There's the philosophy of leading by, by influence. So, getting people to do things, not because you told them to mm -hmm. do it, but because they come to believe that it is the right thing to do. So people, action is compelled by belief. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's, it's been an incredible experience for me in evolving my own leadership style. It's been brilliant, actually. It's different. It's different. Yeah. And it works. Mm. But you were an entrepreneur in, a, in your previous <laughs> life, so you, so you know that uh, yes, to a certain extent. to a certain extent. Yeah. And what do you, what do you for people listening to this uh, who are maybe young going into the job market, they look at companies like Facebook and awe and, you know, wh what do you look for in people in, uh, in, uh, within Facebook? Like, Actually, um, a great question, Lulu. I, I think what I look for in people hasn't necessarily evolved, hasn't necessarily changed. I think the characteristics of success perhaps are 
universal. I don't know, hypothesis. Tell me. I think there are essential ingredients. Okay, obviously there are exceptions. It's not like if you don't do this, you don't succeed. Mm -hmm. You know, there's plenty of examples and outliers uh, of massive success that don't maybe fit these criteria. But I think being team oriented is essential, right? This goes back to the point that no one person, you know, is, a, is an island mm -hmm. that can self-sustain. Clearly there are examples, there are, there are exceptions to this, but for the most part, being team oriented will serve you well. Being intellectually curious will serve you well. Finding um, uh, innovation uh, uh, and inspiration in even the mon most mundane of things on the surface gives you energy and motivation. Uh, I think people who are investing in creating as many facets to themselves um, will invariably find facets of resonance with others. So maybe fueling team orientation is the ability to kind of connect with others because you have created diversity in your own life. Mm -hmm. Be well-read, listen to music, try different foods, learn about new culture, expand your mind, mm -hmm. right? And obviously there are great exceptions to this who are absolutely singular in nature and you know find massive success. So yeah. this is not a hard and fast rule, but these are things that I think are ultimately uh, can be uh, can be can be very useful. And the the the, the traditional one, <laughs> another traditional one is, uh, don't be afraid of hard work. Mm. Roll up the sleeves. I think there are very few truly brilliant people in this world. Everybody else just has to work hard. Yeah, we have to work hard. True. Right. Roll up the sleeves. Take it on. You're not alone. Give it your all. Uh, and, Extract energy from others. Give energy back to others. That's uh, important. It's super. Nobody important. talks about energy. I think that's very important yeah. in the company. You you can see you can feel it when you walk into a company and the, the energy is not right. Exactly. I think it's important. Okay. So you know, <laughs> these are things that we look for. Good. I wanted to give a shout out to my friend uh, Ray Dargham, who is the founder of Step. Ray is also the host of a new podcast called The Mette Conversations, where he um, hosts successful entrepreneurs from the region and does deep dives on product growth and operations. You can find the podcast The Mette Conversations on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts and on Anrami. So make sure to check it out. So you've been an entrepreneur before, which I didn't know, and I was, I was surprised to know. And not only an Why entrepreneur, to know? <laughs> because I thought, first of all, like corporate, 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 and then you've achieved so much in your life. I didn't know when you had the time to squeeze in a startup. <laughs> <laughs> it's all blended together. So, and when you told me, I was, uh, I was shocked. And it's not only a small company; it's uh, you know, you founded co-founded the company in San Francisco and you grew it into a big business that got acquired. I'm sure you can tell us more, but like quickly, like what prompted you to kind of move? Cause you were in consulting before that. So what prompted you to move to there and maybe share some of your, uh, your experiences? Sure. I mean, one kind of gave birth to the other for the lack of a better description. I think, um, you know, the, the late nineties, was um, was an interesting time 
for uh, you know for consulting. Uh, it's an industry that has been around for maybe 120 years at this stage. Um, it was first started by a company that is still thriving today called Arthur D. Little. They sort of invented this domain. Um, and it's sort of come in and out of it, I suppose, at different points in its story. But I think the, the history and the, uh, the legacy of consulting is, uh, is attributed to them. Um, and then one of the other very early starters was Booz Allen, uh, Booz Allen Hamilton. And so it's an industry that over time um, has become extremely relevant and, and, and a vital uh, uh, asset in the evolution of business. It has equipped institutions, whether public or private, with access to insights, access to capability, uh, to problem solve, uh, to opportunity acquire, uh, in ways that institutions in and of themselves, in-house, for a long time were never really able to do. You could go hire mm great talent that was dedicated to a question or questions at hand that gave you an unbiased arm's length answer to something. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it drove a premium value. Um, it was expensive. Still is. And still is. Yeah. Still is for the most part. So, so just to clarify, you were in the U.S. at the time, right? Because yeah. you, you grew up there. You didn't grow up. Uh, no, no, wait. You grew up in Saudi. I grew up in Saudi. And you went... I was born in Lebanon. Born in Lebanon. My father was working for Aramco. Okay. So a couple of months old, my mom, you know, uh, uh, comes over to uh, uh, Saudi to be with my father. Uh, and I, I grew up uh, in Saudi Arabia, okay. uh, on the eastern province of Saudi Arabia, a place called Rastanura. Uh, Interesting name. Rastanura. Okay. We have Rastanura. Okay. Which I suppose means it's a similarly shaped geography. Yeah. <laughs> you reminded me of the Lebanese song for some reason. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, you know, I grew up there and then at age, uh, and I went to the Ar Aramco schools and then at age okay. 14, I got shipped off to boarding school uh, because school in Aramco only went up to the ninth grade. Okay. Uh, so boarding school, university, so on and so forth. But, in, uh, in the U.S., in New in York? In the U.S., New York, and New Jersey, uh, then I worked out of Boston uh, okay. as an engineer, went back to Canada. But um, so yeah, grad school. Yeah, so you were asking me about consulting uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, how did I transition into, uh, transition into, uh, into the startup world? And so here was this, you know, this, this industry that was dedicated to kind of helping businesses um, move to whatever next level, uh, either solving a problem or acquiring an opportunity. Um, but over time, you know, people leave the industry and pretty soon there were more ex-consultants than active consultants and the know-how that was that made it captive, that made it unique became much more available. And so you started to find more commoditization of consulting, right? You couldn't compete on a process, you had to compete on an answer. Okay. And so it was facing its own sort of uh, challenges as an industry. and. 
at the same time, the first dot-com bubble came about, right? Uh, and this whole organic activity of technological innovation that was happening in the US was starting to become more and more and more clustered. Money started to flow towards it, and this first bubble came about. And as Alan Greenspan, the head of the Treasury, used to call it at the time, the days of irrational exuberance were afoot, right? Uh, money was coming in, big ideas, yeah. things were investing. And so the talent that you found in consulting firms, these type A, uh, hyper-intelligent uh, uh, people were thinking, well, where's the next big thing? This mm -hmm. thing is kind of maybe plateauing a little bit. And so there was a lot of exodus from consulting into the startup world because it required strategic thinking, hard work. Many of the characteristics that you found in consulting mm -hmm. were needed in the startup world, but with a hockey stick in terms of upside. That was kind of my transition. Uh, um, uh, it went from being a consulting project to, hey, let's go out and actually make this happen. And it took on a life of its own. Did you take? Did you do it with other people as co-founders? Yes, 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 yes. I mean, there were. It was a, a consulting engagement, which then, in fact, became a whole business value proposition. To which then there was a capital raise uh, against the uh, the idea. Uh, were you able to raise capital easily back in the day? Extremely. But that was the whole point of irrational exuberance. People were investing things that probably were investing you, in things that they sh probably should never have invested. But you raised in. before or after the, the bubble, the dot com? In the middle of it. So we were, you okay. know, money was flowing for every idea under the sun. And this project became uh, an opportunity to kind of say, hey, let's put a price tag on this and get someone to invest in it. And, uh, and that's exactly, exactly, essentially what had happened. And uh, a, a big check was given, and that big check uh, turned into a very large uh, uh, um, valuation. Big check? 30 million, 20 million, some big number. Wow, okay. And the company is called? At the time, it went through many different names, but okay. the name that we landed on, the name that became public, the name that drove its value, uh, was abbreviate. Abbreviate. Yeah. And it's a sourcing, right? Uh, a B2B, B2B e-sourcing e company. Okay. And it was sold? Uh, it wasn't sold. We, we tried to sell it. it okay. That <laughs> didn't work. Okay. <laughs> so we tried to take the company public. Uh, um, and uh, and uh, you know the initial valuation was extremely uh, attractive. And for being a shareholder in that business, um, you know, it was the kind of valuation that would make you think, I don't need to work anymore, mm -hmm. and my, maybe my kids don't need to work anymore. So uh, it was extremely exciting uh, uh, at the time. But, um, but the bubble burst, yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, the underwriter basically came back and said, hey, we don't think it's the right time to take it public, let's wait a little bit longer. And, Wait a little bit longer became, you know what, let's not do it altogether. And then that became, well, why don't you think about selling the company? Uh, and then trying to sell the company didn't yield the kind of uh, offers that, uh, that made sense. And so we kept it, uh, we kept it running. And the key investor uh, at the time eventually absorbed it into other assets that they had okay. uh, uh, at the time. Okay. So, so, in a way, some, the function still exists. Some stressful days. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Very stressful, but also very exciting. I, mean, I learned a ton. I learned a ton.
I'm sure. Yeah. And that's the beauty of a startup. I mean, you know as well yeah. that you wear many hats. Uh, there is no job that, uh, that you'd say is beneath me or above me. Mm. Everything, everything, you have everything to has, to be, has to be done. Was there, so, um, a bit of a slightly personal question, because you've done so many things in your career, was there like a, I don't know, a, a proud moment, or let's say one of the sort of best moves you've done, uh, is there something like that, or a pivotal moment perhaps, or, or you see your career being, uh, I can't say linear, because it's not really no, linear, not, but like... And I don't think of it as a, as a career per se, that it's sort of some kind of track with a beginning and an end necessarily. It's like a, I'm on a journey, okay? I'm on a journey and I am learning a lot about myself along the way. I'm trying to do good along the way. I make mistakes. Mm. I have successes. Uh, I try to learn from them positively and negatively. I try, you know, one of the hardest, some of the hardest lessons I've had in life have been how not to take things personally. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a tough one. It's really tough, yeah. especially when you're invested in something. You feel yeah. that a judgment of that thing is also a judgment of you. And that's you're talking in general, not entrepreneurship now, right? No, in, yeah, general. in general. It applies in entrepreneurship yeah, and it applies in the corporate world. Yes. And the other one is how to accept things as the right answer if Meaning? you wouldn't have done it that way yourself. So accepting that other people's work under your leadership can produce the right outcomes even if you wouldn't have done it that way. So it's this innate need to kind of say, this is how you should do it, right? It goes back to that other philosophy yeah, of more directive, do this, do that, do this, do that, mm -hmm. right? And part of my own evolution has been getting, accepting other people's way as the right way, as a better way, mm. right? And, and, it, and it stems from inspiring people to do things as opposed to telling people what to do. Does that make sense? Yes, of course it does. Yeah. Of course it does. So I haven't thought about my career in a linear way. Mm. Uh, I've thought about, well, what experiences would I like to gain? Where do I have opportunity to have impact, make a difference, derive insight and learning, um, become better? Mm. Yeah, um, but do I have an end state in mind? My confession is, I I actually I actually don't. Mm. Maybe I should. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I I tell you what I do enjoy more and more is is uh, is really making a difference for some of the smallest uh, uh, people and institutions out there. Yeah, I mean, it goes it goes back to this notion that I want to make this part of the world somehow better. Mm. Yeah, I want to create opportunities for people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to that actually in a, in a oh. little bit, but yeah. like, uh, which, because, because I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something to say, but I think it's very difficult to do it with, really is. here. Um, but, but going back to to entrepreneurship a yeah. little bit, um, are there any any lessons basically for entrepreneurs or now, you know, because you invest in companies now mm -hmm. as, a, as an angel mm -hmm. or as a VC, you have a fund? We, we don't have a fund. Okay. No. So, so what do you, you know, what do you look at uh, when you, when you talk to entrepreneurs? What, are so there it, like so some telltale evolved. signs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's evolved. Like, I, I think a lot of people put 
extreme emphasis on you know the entrepreneur. Yes. Uh, it's all about the entrepreneurs. All that. Yes, it yeah. is in large part about the entrepreneur. I do that. Yeah, but you also have to look at what what are the, whatever what are they creating? Yeah. Is the business logic there? Is there a value proposition? At what point do you invest? Early stage or? or? I used to. I used to do very early stage. Okay. Uh, I'm, and and I, I think that's still very, very important. Okay. Um, but I want to invest in things that have a fighting chance. And I don't know, you know, you don't always get it right. Um, and it's not only about my investing. It's also about, or my investing cash. It can also be about investing time. Do you do that? And investing mental capacity. I try to, absolutely. Yeah, you have band, like bandwidth? I don't have much. That's so, why you want So that. I have to be very selective. Time is, yeah. a, is a currency. It's a resource. And so, and so I, I, I look for viability. I like business logic. I like things that are, have a fighting chance. I'm an activist by nature, right? Like, uh, uh, if I believe in you, it doesn't mean that I'm never going to tell you what to do or suggest ideas for you to consider or debate with you or argue with you. You know, there are many people that spray and pray as mm -hmm. the as the saying goes. Well, here's my money, and I believe in you. You're the entrepreneur. You'll figure it out. Okay, go to those types of people. Mm -hmm. Don't come to me. Mm -hmm. and, you know, if, if you want to figure it out, let's figure it out. Let's Great. roll up our sleeves and get into it. But I've got to believe in it and not just believe in the person. I've got to believe in the person. I've got to believe in the value proposition. So you spend time on your due diligence? I, like, I mean, I, I, when I can, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time. Okay. I wish I had more, which is, I'm telling you that my earlier comment that, that one of the things that I have learned about myself is that I enjoy this. I would like to do this more. Um, this being the this investing? Investing, the, yeah. investing time, helping small things get bigger, building things, evolving things, connecting the dots on things, which again is also part of my role at Facebook. I think you, you would be a great uh, like uh, beyond mentor. I mean, if you look at the accelerators that are in the region today, one of the biggest critique is that, you know, not many people are actual operators and a lot of them haven't built a startup in their lives. That's right. Uh, goes to the investment community as well. And you hear that, you know, uh, all the time. It's not, you know, my personal opinion. Um, and I think to, to elevate where we are to, to the next level in terms of the quality of the startups, the quality of entrepreneurs, you need this kind of caliber coming in and, and uh, sort of uh, supporting and spending more time beyond money. Because I think, yeah, you hear a lot about, we're here to add value. Every, every VC in the region is here to add value, but I don't know uh, The VC space in general is a challenge, is a, uh, is a bit of a conundrum to me. Okay, uh, here. Here, here, okay. because first off, there's a lot of money. <laughs> And so, well, there is an, there is an, there, there is, a, there is like, a lot of money that is available. You know, whether it sits in the coffers of the VC or is accessible to the network of the VC, there is money to be deployed. Yeah, um, and so these startups, in many ways, um, if they're onto something, will have access to a lot. Uh, to a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the VCs in general perhaps try to take on too great. Uh, a, uh, a percentage of the business uh, uh, for the value that they bring uh, into the equation. 
And I think in many cases, not all, uh, but in, in a number of cases, the expertise that the business deserves isn't fully there. You know, I think VCs should be connecting the ecosystems around uh, the startups even, even better. They should be thinking around a bigger radius of relevance than just serving uh, a region. I love some of these VCs that are much more globally oriented. Mm-hmm. And there are a few of them based out of out of this neck of the woods. That anyway, you need that because good. Yeah. Be- beyond the certain funding point, you need you need access to global capital. You need access it can, to global. Cannot be done here. Absolutely, and it hasn't been. That's exactly right. And so, <clears throat> uh, you know, I think I think there's an opportunity for the VCs to change their game. And when you think about or to evolve their game, and and some are clearly ahead of the pack, and there are a few that are really stand out. Um, but as, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, there are essentially three categories of, of playing, right? You can either be trying to originate something, the first of, of a kind. Uh, you can be trying to propagate something. It exists somewhere else. Let me team up with them and help that business expand within the region or let me um, uh, replicate and localize mm-hmm. right I'll copycat it and make it a bit of our own mm-hmm. and um, and I think um, there tends to be a lot of overemphasis on on origination um, as in new ideas as in brand new ideas um, uh, do you think here I think historically there has been yes. I think it's like tremendously discouraged uh, so as as an entrepreneur, I tell you, like my experience is that when you when you typically go and and talk to VCs here, it's it's usually okay. Where does it happen before? Yes, done it? yes, mm-hmm. and it's usually okay. like a you know a dipstick test or whatever okay. uh, of where this business can go. It, it could be. I mean, I'm obviously not at the table of all of these VCs. Actually, one of the biggest complaints that I hear from the entrepreneurial community here is that there isn't money for like innovation and there is money for uh, for e-commerce. There is money for, you know, things that, yes, were done outside are successful. The localization part of it. Mm. That's 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 my sense. I think then it must be just the nature of people coming across my desk or coming to me. That they always are coming with, oh, really? it's never been done before. What do you think? <laughs> Send them to me. <laughs> uh, interesting. Yeah. Why, why do you attract these people? That's, uh, that's I don't interesting. Know. I, don't know. I, don't know. I don't know. Okay. But, you know, clearly there are many ways to play. And, uh, and I think, um, uh, you know, the, the prize is, uh, is big. There's some... There's plenty of opportunity, plenty of need, uh, and then plenty. I think we of, need to see more, though. Funding. We have a, we have we've had a, you know, a few big exits, and uh, and I think we talk about them all the time, but I think we need we need to see uh, more happening. I can't disagree with that. Yeah. In this book, Ecosystem Arabia, that you were featured in. Um, there's a, there's a lot of great points that you made, one of which was about the countries, because you talked about being optimistic about the region. So let's, let's, let's wrap up with this, actually. It's very difficult, I mean, to be optimistic, I think, for me, uh, about the region. 
Why? No, you're going to slap me. <laughs> no, not at all. Tell me why. Look, um, I think, so I grew up in Lebanon, okay, and in Lebanon, if you're not connected or you have wasta or you come from wealth, my opinion is that your chances are, you know, quite limited. Uh, the Gulf is a, is a haven, as you said, it's a great place to be. Um, and I've been here 20 years, so I think I'm staying. But it's like when you, when I look at Lebanon, for example, and the region, excluding the Gulf, you know, it's, it's, it's quite challenging. Uh, having built a business here and tried to scale it and hit a lot of obstacles um, is just difficult. And everywhere you kind of look, you see bad things happening in a way. So you said in the book that you are an optimist by choice because it's easy to think like me. So, so tell me about it. It does take a lot of energy to remind oneself of the longer game. Because you're right, every day there is another tear in the social fabric. And every day there is a thread that is being pulled. And every day the lace and interlace that has held us together uh, gets unraveled uh, in some way, shape or form. So I agree that, you know, it is natural to feel down about certain things, about a lot of things. Maybe as a Lebanese more so, actually. Maybe as a Lebanese. Especially or, now. Or a Palestinian, Palestinian, or Algerian, yes. Yes. or Libyan, or Iraqi, or and Syrian. I mean, there are a lot of people who feel uh, perhaps disenfranchised or, or, or lost. And, and I by no means want to diminish the reality that they have. Um, uh, it's painful, it's difficult. But I take a step back and I, and I look beyond the immediacy of that situation. And, and, I, and while I do what I can to help in the immediacy of those different circumstances, either on a personal basis or through a, uh, on a corporate basis and you know, what, what Facebook, what we've been able to do in Facebook to help on the back of the Beirut explosion and in, in a number of other areas is an indication of what other corporations can also do uh, uh, similarly in the acuteness of people's circumstances. But looking out and beyond, I'm reminded of some particularly compelling things. One is that uh, that if the demand for small and medium business loans across the region mm -hmm. uh, were funded, uh, it would be probably a fraction of the total spend on armament, and it probably would generate mm -hmm. millions of jobs, tens of millions of jobs. So there is a way. To create jobs. Is it four percent? Was it the, well, the, the? I don't know. I think I mean, it's a very small number. I mean, whether somebody said four percent or or ten percent, yeah. we will never know because it's it's. You can't it's, even it's open it's a opaque. bank account, by the it, way. It's it's <laughs> Let opaque. alone get a loan. It's opaque. It's opaque. Um, so I think you know there is uh, there is a mechanism to get funding to those that need it. I think what uh, the digital disruptions that are happening are showing us that, that uh, people can connect and they can thrive and they can reach audiences and they're not bound by 
a physical geography in the way that they have been before. There's access to learning, and it's not about what you just get in the classroom. The classroom is being reinvented. Mm -hmm. I think healthcare and general health of society, you know, pandemic aside, even though we're we're facing it with with a counterforce, yeah, uh, that is Newtonian, right? <laughs> uh, and it's and it's inspiring because we're doing it in in time frames and in a pace that we've never seen before. And granted, there are some that are faster than others. Yeah, uh, we have a an a generally educated and literate society, obviously with variances, but overall uh, people are, are able to consume and, 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 and process information. There's a connectivity in MENA that is higher than the global average. There's smart devices in the hands of a higher percentage of society than many other parts of the world. Um, we have a collective GDP bigger than that of India. We have a younger population uh, than, uh, you know, than, than I think India as well. So we've got assets. We've got educated, connected people. Mm -hmm. uh, our laws are evolving, right? We're rethinking bankruptcy law. We're rethinking cross-border trade. We're rethinking payments. Now, these are all assets that equip us to play a very different game in the future. I'm supremely hopeful about this. We have a young, talented, hungry, frustrated mm. society that usually can come together in a very positive way. It needs nurturing, it needs you know, prodding, and it needs some direction. But it's better than the absence of these things. Mm. Yeah? So this is what makes me hopeful. So you feel the ingredients are... The ingredients are there. We yeah. maybe need to emphasize certain things, de-emphasize certain things. Like the point that we were talking about earlier around, you know, how can government, for example, um, direct activities a bit more, right? It, historically, we would say, oh, we create a small and medium uh, uh, fund to support the community. Or maybe we do like an entrepreneurship program or we do a, a digital program. I think it needs to evolve. It needs to become more focused around a geography's right to win. Everyone has a right to play for the most part, but where do you have a right to win? And I think the correlation between the traditional sectors of success and, uh, and the spillover into the digital world makes a multiplier. If you're famous for retail, go down the retail tech mm -hmm. path. If you're famous and, and, and successful when it comes to agri, go down the agri-tech path. Yeah. You've got access to expertise and insights and resources and materials yeah. that gives you a right to win more so than just a right to play. Mm -hmm. And so I think that extra layer of direction can go uh, a, a very, very long way. Gone are the days of saying, oh, I've dedicated 100 million or 2 billion for entrepreneurship. Yes, great. Give it some more focus. Mm -hmm. Show people where, don't stop them from doing other things, yeah. right? but encourage them to go in those areas that you have the right to win. And so these things make me optimistic. I see it, it's there, mm -hmm. we can do this. So what do you recommend to young people, I, you know, I want this podcast to reach young people, hopefully mm. inspire them a little bit. So you have four kids. <laughs> I do. Um, one of them is, you know, going into university soon. Mm. Two of them. Two of them. 
So what do you what do you tell them about the region, about like the skills of the future? I mean, do we really need to be lawyers anymore? Do we really need to be uh, coders? You made a point about yeah. coders. Yeah. Uh, can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, and I again I don't proclaim to know anything about anything. I mean, I have my own observations. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. Um, but um, I mean, what I talk about with my daughters. Uh, who are 17 and 16, is that this notion of artificial intelligence has, is not a new phenomenon. I mean, uh, uh, we've been talking about it since the 1940s, right? Isaac Asimov came out and basically warned the world around uh, you know, the hyper-progression of, of artificial intelligence and the impact to humanity you know, some 80, 90, 80 years ago. Um, but I think where we're taking it and the reality of the fourth industrial revolution around emulating human intelligence in a, in a way that we've never seen before is that highly codified things are ripe for disruption. Highly codified things because we can process data in ways that we've never been able to do before. So. I think those industries that are highly codified, you know, pick up the text, look at Article 2, subparagraph, kaza, blah, blah, blah. I think those are, um, are going to change dramatically. Right? Um, but those industries that require us to use right brain, left brain, pulling things together in ways mm-hmm. that we haven't uh, thought of doing before, uh, is a place to focus. Right. And so that's my, my direction to my goal. My, my daughters, um, uh, industries that require uh, design, um, understanding human behavior and combining that with, with, with tech uh, or economics and healthcare. It's, you know, MIT has a, 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 a fantastic uh, kind of, um, uh, what's it called, uh, the, um, the, the sort of the, the mantra of the university. It's mens e manus, the mind and the hand. Yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier about Steve Jobs. You know, he said his mission in life was to marry art and science. Mm. And so polarity for me, the convergence of poles creates incredible opportunity. Right? And so my encouragement to my daughters is think about how you marry your passion for history with your passion for, uh, for uh, coding. How do they come together? Mm. I don't know. Uh, or your passion for uh, behavioral economics and your passion for biology. Okay, I, I don't know how they come together, right? Mm. I, haven't, I can't see that yet. But I think those are the things that are worthy of exploration, bringing different things together. And maybe in the end, you know, Entrepreneurship and success of an entrepreneur is not something so nebulous, so big and fluffy. In the end, it's like, hey, I just want to figure out how to Uberize a bus, or, you know, you know yeah. <laughs> and it becomes something much more micro. But yeah. I think that introspection probably triggers some of these epiphanies along the way. That, oh, okay, I could do this, or oh, I could do that, or I could do that. So they're young, right? And and right now I'm. I'm encouraging them to to think left brain, right brain and where they converge.
We actually, we spoke briefly about success metrics, and I'm going to end with this. And you, you know, you're successful by a lot of metrics. And, you know, for people that are trying to kind of, you know, there's this big question, like, what is success uh, to you? Is it financial? Is it, like, meaning? Is it... So what, how do you define it for, again, uh, for the people who are, who are listening? What do, you, what do you say success is? You know, I, I don't tend to think about it much, really. I think about it's, your own success or about success in general? About what is success and, what is, and how much. I think it's almost like uh, what is happiness, right? I, I mean, it's, it, it, it varies 15 times a day. Oh, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. It's like such a difficult question. Yeah, what I makes mean, you happy? I don't, I don't know. know. Like, <laughs> and you feel under pressure that you have to say something. Yeah, my, my son making me a cup of coffee in yeah. the morning saying, oh, hey, good morning. That, okay, that, that, that makes me happy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, so, you know, it, it goes up and down too much. Mm. And so I don't, you know, trying to kind of be happy all the time, I think is... Uh, is a, is a is a is a challenge that's not top of mind for me. Uh, I think happiness is determined in hindsight. You look back and you say, oh. "Huh, overall, how has it been?" Good, yeah. And for me, I think success is the same way. You look back and say, "Hmm, what is it?" Um, I think the real mission is to live. I mean, it's almost. Aristotelian, <laughs> in the sense that, you know, I think to live virtuously, to try to do good, mm. um, to employ yourself, your mind, your hands in doing something, building something, creating something. And you do something. this, by the way. So I've, I've read that you're into, you do a lot of philanthropy, you yeah. do... You, so, you sit on boards. Um, but whether it's you do those things or you mm. just try to kind of make the meal every morning and keep your kids in good health and, and, uh, and, and curious about learning. I mean, they are equivalent. You know, there isn't one that is better mm. than the other. So I think employing the talents that one has in doing good and moving forward uh, um, will in the end result in one looking back and saying, ah, that was successful, or ah, mm. that was a good life, that was a happy life. Every day pursuing happiness, uh, not for me. I mean, I, I would rather focus on doing good. What motivates you? Something, is there something specific that, that motivates you in general? I think um, uh, um, passionate people motivate me. Yeah. People who uh, who um, consider all the facts and choose to be to be to be dedicated and motivated, you know. People who find it in themselves to laugh. People who find uh, um, a purpose uh, in things, yeah. And that purpose can evolve and change. Um, I think those things give me energy. Thank you so much, Ramiz. Yeah, my pleasure. My it pleasure. was really an honor having you no, here. No, so my thank honor you. is mine. Thank you for having me. This has oh, been okay. this has been wonderful. This thank has been you. wonderful. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning into this episode. I hope you found uh, Ramaz's insights and advice helpful. As a parent, his uh, advice about the skills of the future and how we should marry between the, the right and the left brain was uh, extremely interesting. As a parent, it's definitely a big question on our minds. How do we uh, mentor and guide our kids to be as uh, successful and as uh, happy as they could be? Uh, I also love Ramaz's optimism for the region and I look forward to see what else he's going to be working on in the next decade or two or three. Uh, as usual, if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating or a review, especially on Apple Podcast. Uh, also, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can visit my website, conversationswithlulu.com, where you can see other episodes, uh, read some blogs, and you can also contact me through the contact form if you have any guest recommendations, feedback, uh, sponsorship, or collaboration opportunities, uh, and more. You can also find me on social media, as usual, on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn, at Lulu Hazen. So I want to wish you a fantastic day, and uh, see you in two weeks. Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.